0: We ready to praise and worship our lord and savior i want to read psalm 24 7 and look what it says lift up your heads o gates and be lifted up ancient doors let the king of glory may come in who is the king of glory the lord strong and mighty the lord mighty in battle Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, ancient doors, that the King of glory come in. Who is he? Who is he? This King of glory, the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory who rules over all creation with his heavenly armies. The King of glory is the person that we are here for. And I want to encourage you to unite together with us. And let's praise him. He is worthy to be praised. He is our king, the Lord of hosts, the Lord almighty. Can we do that? Can you do that with me? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Father, this morning. Thank you for being with us, for being in us and never leaving us. you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you that you are with us always, always. When I'm in the roughest water, I won't go under,
1: I won't drown. And when I'm in over my head, I know that you won't let me down. And when I'm broke,
2: moment to share with you some exciting things that have been happening or are coming up. It's good to be home. It's been a couple of weeks uh, that we've been away and we've missed y'all. We've missed our faith family. I love that God has wired our hearts to, uh, to miss each other in that way, saying faith family in the true sense of the phrase that we are indeed a loving family to one another. And I um, just want to share with you what's been going on the last two weeks. We, we have just come back from uh, from camp uh, we launched a new ministry called the YAG, which is a young adults group. Uh, we've uh, the young adults group is something very new. We've uh, only met for a couple of, uh, actually three weeks now at this point. It's been going really well. The discussion that happens there is something that students that have just graduated, up until around 25, these these are prime questions that they would have during that we discussed through. Uh, from a biblical standpoint at, at these meetings and I, or at, at these gatherings. And plus, there's free food there, and so that's always a big draw for them. If you know anyone that's recently graduated and uh, who's, who's come home from college, just hanging out on Thursday nights, I would encourage you to uh, come and talk to me or to Ms. Tessa over there, and uh, we'd love to share with you how you can be a part of what's going on here at the YAG uh, we also have a VBS coming up very soon. Uh, thank you so much for those of you who have already volunteered to be a part of this. There's nothing like watching God work in the heart of a young person and seeing them recognize Christ as their Lord and Savior. and get to be a part of uh, God, uh, God's, being a, God's instrument in the life of a young person. And so if you are interested in, in helping us out with that, we have a lot of volunteers so far, but there's always uh, room for more help. And uh, thank you so much for those of you who have already done so. If you are uh, wanting to join us for for VBS or uh, you want to have someone that that you know that's a child to be a part of that, just go to our website and there is a place for you to sign up your child. Or if you want to volunteer, just come and talk to me or Pastor Mark and we'll point you in the right direction. Uh, uh, Just a couple more things. Uh, Like I said, we did come back from camp. It was a Sunday to Wednesday camp, four days and three nights. And it was wild in the most amazing way. Uh, God was uh, definitely elevated in the hearts of these young, young people. Uh, they not only had quiet time on their own, which we will see here in just a second, uh, but we also had incredible games that produced memories that they'll have for a long time. So just to give you an idea of what took place at camp, uh, here's a, just a short little clip that we can take, uh, give you just a little insight as to what took place. Thank you Miss Drea, my lovely wife put that together. Thank you so much for doing that. And um you know, trivia night. That was the uh one of the biggest highlights of uh, of of camp. I mean they were absolutely nuts over trivia questions. Even the leaders were just going crazy. It was so so fun. God was uh uh really elevating the hearts of our young people and, and uh, I'm telling you our leaders had a phenomenal time. So just a little pitch. If you want to do some fun things for the Lord, come and join youth ministry. I guarantee you are going to have a great time. Uh, in this next mo- moment, I'm going to ask you guys just to consider just a couple of things. Um, we have several different ways for us to uh, give to, to the Lord here at Calvary. We have uh, envelopes in the chairs in front of you. If you guys fill that in, we make sure that that gets documented in the right way. We get you, get you guys the, that documentation at the end of the end of the month, end of the year, sorry. Uh, but there's very easy ways to do it as well. Uh, I'd like to use the text to give. Uh, if you text 84321 a dollar amount, it'll give you some prompts on how to set it up. And after that, all you do from then on just type in a dollar amount. You don't even have to put any symbols. Just four zero 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 and hit enter, and it'll do everything for you. And, uh, it's a very convenient way of giving to the, uh, giving to the Lord It is an act of worship. When we give of ourselves, when God, uh, when we give back from our provision that he has so blessed us with, uh, and it's an act of uh, mercy that he does that for us. And it's an act of worship when we give back to the Lord. And so I encourage you to uh, join in with the Lord in our, uh, obedience to him and the blessing that comes along with doing life his way. Uh, in this, uh, for right now, if you guys, uh, while your guys are doing that, filling out your envelopes or, and all that, I would encourage you to turn around, look for a face that you kind of know, but you don't really know their name, and say, "Hi, I am so and so. Good to meet you. Glad you're here. In the name of Jesus." <laughs>
0: into your presence with thanksgiving, Father. Recognizing who you are, Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Father, we are not here to ask. This present moment, we are here to give you, Father, what only you deserve. We want to give you praise and honor and the glory that only you deserve, Father.
1: And all the saints and angels
0: that bow before your throne and
1: all crowns
0: before the land of God and sing, and all the elders, and
1: all the
0: Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank
3: you, Jesus.
4: Father, we bless you. We just take a few moments now to come before you in prayer. To lift our requests before you. We do exalt you, Lord. We humble ourselves before you. Father, I'm reminded of the song we sang. Our prayers are like incense before your throne. Father, I pray right now as we're praying together, we would actually see our prayers come before you and you see them as,
3: you experience
4: them as sweet-smelling incense. Lord, may we as a community have moments of intimacy in your presence. Lord, we lay before you all of those requests, as you have said, to bring all of our requests before you, to lay them at your feet, to thank you, to trust you. Father, there are those in our midst who are needing your healing hand, to rise up from the bed of cancer, to heal from surgeries. There are those who are grieving. Father, you are the God of comfort are the Father of mercy. Lord, there are those who are desiring to lift loved ones before you. Lord, if our hearts ache for our loved ones and our love is so far compared to yours, how much more do you care about them? Are you concerned? Amen. Are you moving on their behalf? Father, we pray for those who are traveling, that you grant them mercy, that you grant them fruitfulness in their trips, what they lay their hands to. Father, we're grateful to you that we are a part of a body where there are those literally traveling all over the corners of this globe to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray for them. They have wisdom to win souls, that doors would be open they would be protected, there would be provision, Lord, we pray for those right now, brothers and sisters, who in this moment are experiencing persecution, because they've named the name of Jesus, rejected by their families, rejected by their societies, imprisoned, beaten, left without livelihoods, Lord, you have not abandoned them. You will never leave or forsake us. They have a place in your glory. Provide for them. Build them up. Encourage them. Because where the cross is, there is resurrection. Father, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we pray, Jerusalem, declare, blessed is he, blessed is Yeshua who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, as we share a few moments together this morning, opening your word together, may it be like a mirror to our souls. May we not be the same after we've looked at your word than we were before. By your grace, help me, Lord, now to share your heart. By your grace, help us to receive your heart. And by your grace, Help that it not be about what we do in here, but what we take out there to reveal your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sit down if you can. Can we thank the worship team this morning? Thank you all. I know um, Pastor Terry, for those that have uh, been wondering, he's been um, in... Alaska ministering to first responders uh, police officers he and Melanie together part of the Billy Graham ministry uh, ministering to those who have lost um, you know, mean, um, struggling in their marriages and in marriage relationships and so praying for them I uh, please keep them in your prayer um, as they're uh, finishing up and seeing lives touched and changed and I mean no it's um it's the Lord knows how to bring healing no matter what circumstances we go through in life. Amen. So um, uh, one thing I want to mention on Wednesday nights, we just started the book of Daniel in here. So we're, we're going through the book of Daniel together. If you've not come out, we invite you to join. After service today and each Sunday, except first Sunday, we don't do it on first Sunday, we have connect groups and it's a, it's a time to meet together to to talk together, have a time to share the word together, and they're right over in this room over here. It's also there's a food over there as well. So time to grab a little bite together, and um, and you know, grow as the body. Have some uh, time around your word with one another. Actually, getting a chance to talk and and think about, think through these things we're talking about here. So we've been for the last couple of months uh doing this series on marriage and family and marriage and family life um so we've had mother's day we've had father's day uh two two of the messages Uh, we did a message on marriage in which i began to introduce this series with one myth and one truth so truth anybody remember this is taxing right here this is for points i'm giving out points right now myth number one from marriage anybody remember what that was by any chance it's worth 75 points yeah, love is a love is a feeling. That's right. Myth number one: love is a feeling. Love's not a feeling. It's a well. It is a choice, but it's a responsibility. Owe oh, no man nothing except to love them. We take on the responsibility of loving someone else in marriage. All right, that was myth number one. Truth number one was marriage is hard. hard well, hard. Yeah, that was my wife, by the way. <laughs> That's the one point she remembers. <laughs> yes. Marriage is hard work. Marriage is hard work. Myth number one. All right. Then we did a lesson on parenting, and I had truth number two. Anybody remember what truth number two was? This, so that you, somebody says Diane's got 75 points. Anthony has 75. Who wants 75 points? Pa- truth number two was what? Well, that was truth number two, but I got it backwards. What was myth number two? 150. You just have a newborn. How do you know? no truly that is that is the myth i got it back i mean that is the truth what was the myth number two anybody remember that yes very good very good 75 points to craig our identity doesn't come from our children's behavior The myth is we get our identity from our children, how our children behave, what they do, how they act in life. I mean, after all, raise up a child in the way they should go. Well, if our children don't go the way we think, it must be us, right? If that's true, do we all believe God is a good father? How many know God's a good father? How many know God has a few wayward children? (laughs) Yeah, we don't get our identity from the way our children behave. We pour our lives in them. Of course, we want to raise them up in what's right. But that's not where we get our identity. We get our identity from Christ, and that's going to apply today. Today, I'm going to talk about singleness. We're going to get into singleness. How many know marriage and family include singleness? Hmm. Got quiet. How many know marriage and family include singleness? Yeah, there you go. Um, so, so myth, uh, myth number three. Myth number three is singleness is too hard. Singleness is too hard. Kind of flipped it around there. So truth number three, who wants to take a shot at truth number number three? Yeah, singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. That's the two things we're going to talk about this morning. All right, so I'm going to recommend a book uh, a lot. Um, I read this book several years ago, and I'm going to have several quotes from it this morning we're going to use. I highly recommend it. It's a book by a pastor named Sam Alberry. He is a single man, single adult. As a young man, he was same-sex attracted. He came to Christ and wrestled and struggled with this, and he wrestled and struggled with the whole concept of being single and living single for the Lord. Um, and he has seven myths about singleness. Well, we're not going to do seven myths. We're just going to do one. In fact, I borrowed the first one from him. Singleness is too hard. But I'm going to start off with a quote from him. He says this. So the first question I have to introduce this as we get into it, before we get into the myths, is why talk about singleness? Why is singleness a part of marriage and family? And here's a quote. In much of our thinking, singleness if not downright bad is certainly not seen as good One writer noted the difference between christian books on marriage and those on singles In books on marriage marriage is assumed to be a great thing And all that remains is to understand understand it better and perhaps be aware of one or two potential pitfalls that might arise Yeah, <laughs> I you should be laughing that is funny <laughs> But books on singleness typically have a different starting point. Singleness is assumed to be pretty much awful. The point of the book is, therefore, to see if we can maybe eke out something just to tolerate from it. Even the way we describe singleness reflects this. It's almost always defined in the negative, as as the absence of something. It's the state of not being married. It's the absence of a significant other. This defining by negation reinforces the idea that there's nothing intrinsically good about singleness. It's merely the situation of lacking what is intrinsically good in marriage. Unfortunately, we do that. That's what we do in the church. Unfortunately, the fact is we get often get singleness wrong The fact is all of us have been or are single right now We either have been or are and most of us will be Hmm. The fact is our lack of understanding of singleness really demonstrates our lack of understanding of marriage Young people, your identity doesn't come from that person you're dating or finding that right person to be with. Married people, your identity doesn't come from that person that you've shared a vow with. You can't get from someone else what you can only get from Christ. You can't get from someone else what you can only get from Christ, what only he has given you. The fact is, singleness affects every single one of us. This is from Romans chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Here's the fact, and I, and I, I hope we get this. We're not members together together. Like members of an organization, we're members of one another. There is a very different thing between an institution and the body of Christ. In an institution or an organization, you join up. You have a membership that you join. And as long as there's the benefits, you're a part of it. As long as you're getting something out of it, it's a good thing. And as a body of Christ, you can't separate yourself from your body and something not be missing. If I were to take your kneecap, you'd know it. If I were to take, you know, this right here, that looks kind of insignificant, does it? Smash it with a hammer and see how it feels. (laughs) Exactly. I've done that before. I promise you, my entire body feels it. We are members of one another. And so no matter what place we've been called to, at this moment, we are in Christ together. All right. So, but we need to contrast something because there is singleness in culture and there's singleness according to the Bible. And we're going to find out they're very different. What's singleness in culture? Very simple. Singleness in culture is unmarried and unrestrained from sexual abstinence. Free to find success. Uh, I can't even say it. S- sexual fulfillment without commitment. That's, that's our culture, right? Here's the way a British journalist, British journalist wrote this. Singleness as solvency, great sex, and guilt-free. Yeah. That's what our culture says. But what is singleness according to God? Unmarried, committed to sexual abstinence while remaining unmarried, and what? Free to find fulfillment in Christ without worldly entanglement. Free to find f- fulfillment in Christ without... Worldly entanglement. So, right away, we're confronting. Singleness for a Christian looks very different than singleness for someone who's not. It looks very different. In the Bible, Bible, singleness is not bad. It's good and it's a blessing. It's a wonderful gift from God. It should be affirmed and celebrated. It's not something to be fixed. I remember um, many, many years ago before... Long before I met Diane, I was engaged and uh, ended up not getting married. And I gave my life to the Lord. And I went through this several-year period of time where I said, look, my life just belongs to the Lord. I'm just going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to focus on anything but just serving the Lord. And I can't tell you how many people came to me. Well, who are you dating? When are you going? Actually, one person came to me and says, nobody changes that much. Yeah. Uh, people who you're dating and I have I remember family members coming to me. Well, you know, you, got, you you Have to find somebody you're just not complete and full until you do and I was like, I've got Jesus man I'm Jesus It's an opportunity to Christ So we're gonna look at two myths singleness is too hard and singleness is a gift singleness is too hard and singleness is a gift all right, why do we say singleness is too hard? We say singleness is too hard because we go by our culture's definition of singleness, right? Here's our culture's definition. Singleness, good. Abstinence, bad. How many agree that's what our culture says? Look, I may be familiar with the movies. I actually haven't seen them, but I did read about them. Um, movie called The 40-Year-Old Virgin and 40 Days and 40 Nights, apparently. Anybody read about those? The, the, the one's about this guy, 40 years old, never had sex. And, you know, the whole objective is that he has sex somewhere, because he, but he's single, right? And this other one's about uh, this guy who commits to going 40 days and 40 nights without sex. Now, listen, guys, lest you think this is just our culture being our culture, this is ultimately spiritual. Why do I say it's ultimately spiritual? That number 40 is not an accident. It's not an accident. How long was Jesus tempted in the wilderness? Anybody know? Forty days and forty nights. We have many, many um, uh, traditional churches celebrate that period of time called Lent. And do what for forty days? Abstain. It's a time of deprivation. And what the culture says, okay, for abstinence, it's impossible. You can't even do 40 days and 40 nights. It's literally putting itself straight against the Bible. There's a, I, I, love this, I love this analogy. In our culture, abstinent singleness is like a unicorn. Why? Because we've heard of them, but we've never seen one. Here's the problem, and this really is the crux of it. This is what our culture is saying, and this is what we believe when we stand behind that. Without sex, you can't really experience what it means to be truly human. According to this kind of thinking, our sense of personhood is directly attached to our sex life. I read an article by a progressive christian pastor this is a guy moody bible institute got his degree he's been off to seminary he wrote this in this article When i'm about uh, these things didn't come out of the article i wrote these things and read his article after the fact and he affirmed every one of these things this is somebody claiming to be a pastor in a church to be absent is to be ignorant, to, act, to do actual self-harm. It's not healthy. It's quaint and old-fashioned. It's deluded. It's very wrong. It's unnecessary and cruel to require of others. Those weren't his words. I wrote those down and read the article afterwards and what there it is. is confirming the very thing coming from somebody claiming to be Christ. You see, Jesus of our culture, you know, is very different than the Bible. You know, this, is, this, is the, this is the way it's put. Well, the Old Testament, there's some laws that are antiquated, and Paul, he's got his hang-ups, but Jesus, he's tolerant of our sexual ethics. Here's the problem. We've given up the moral ground. When we buy in to the cultural view that you cannot be truly human without freely engaging in sexual expression, we tell single people that according to the Bible, the only way to be fully human is to be married. That's what we're saying. My opinion is we need to change the conversation. We need to demonstrate that when we say that, when we buy into our culture, we demonstrate we don't understand our humanity and we don't understand marriage. We need to change the conversation. It's not about saying to the world, I can't do what you do. It's saying to the world, you're the one missing something. The the reason why we're quiet is because this picture is painted so loud in our face every day. It should be breaking our hearts because people are believing that is more fulfilling than Jesus Christ. All right. Let's break this down and hear what Jesus has to say. So, let ask question number one. Is sex outside of marriage a sin? All right, so this is Matthew 15, verse uh, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. You know, sometimes I read these lists and I go, why does he have to put evil thoughts right up there with murder? <laughs> I've had evil thoughts, but you know, does that, you know God puts them all on that same level there. Sexual immorality theft false witness slander These are what defile a person but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone So it's a religious question going on in the day and he's pointing out what truly defiles us now Here's the thing This is what I want to get from this, because we use this in the church as a guilt and shame list. If you're doing this, if you're doing that, you should be guilty, you should be full of shame. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is, you and I have a created purpose, and that purpose is to reflect the good, pure, holy God. That's why you're created. That's why I'm created. And these things are not defiling, because they they give us a guilt or shame identity. They're defiling because they don't look like God. They don't look like him. These things are less than your created identity. They cause you to fall short of the very purpose you were created to be on this earth. You notice it says from out of the heart. How many times do we hear people, oh, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. I, 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 sometimes I like watching those singing song, uh, um, shows, those singing reality shows like The Voice and uh, AGT and those types of things. I actually don't watch them. I usually just watch clips on YouTube. I think you have to listen to the whole thing. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, but you, you'll listen like in The Voice. They'll tell you, pick a coach, which pick a coach. And I'll hear the coaches over and over and over say, follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. And I go, Follow your heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Why would you want to follow that? Make a wise choice. Make a wise decision. Follow the Word of God and let Him change your heart. So let me ask the question these sin lists that we came from, where is the root of them? What is the root of that sin list? It's the heart. Here's Jesus saying it in Matthew 5. You have heard it said that you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Where's the root? Let me ask you a question. Can marriage change the heart of a man? Ask any man that's married. Ask any wife about her husband. <laughs> and vice versa. No. Listen to this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. This is in Matthew 19. All right. The Pharisees came up to him and they were t- they were testing him by asking, "This is in chapter Matthew 19, verse three. Is it lawful divorce one's wife for any cause?" And he answered. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So there's a moral issue of the day. Um, just a little background. There's two main schools of Pharisaism at the time. There's the school of Shammai, the school of Halal. And they had different views on divorce. Shammai was very strict. The only reason you could divorce was sexual immorality. Halal was uh, um, uh, was very um, Uh, 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 a liberal no you can divorce for any reason it's in the law and so this was a a religious question of the day but look how jesus answers this question how does he answer it He, he appeals to the scripture he doesn't say yes or no he doesn't say i'm the authority i'm the living word of god let me tell you he appeals to the bible he says have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, then he appeals to the creator. He who created them. He appeals to the scripture. He appeals to the creator. And then he appeals to the biological fact. He created them male and female. Not our subject for today, but he didn't say on a spectrum. Or based on how they feel. So this is what jesus says let's keep reading therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they're no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let not man separate now notice we don't get to redefine what marriage is based on our feelings jesus just told us it's right here it's in the scripture it's been that way from the beginning and he says this he says what god joins don't separate. Now. We often use that to mean, well, once you're married, you need to be married. And it does mean that. uh, There's a covenant side, but it also means this. The way God defined it is the way God defined it. Now, what does all this have to do with our subject this morning? Catch this. Just follow me. This this is in verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your, what, hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives but from the beginning it was not so it is the heart that is deceitfully wicked above all things The reason why there was an exception at all is because our heart is hard marriage doesn't fix the hard heart If you want to know how it's to be look at how god created and designed it to be That's how we're to live and to operate and he says this he goes uh, so I say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery So my question is: Does marriage change the heart? The answer: No. 150 points. Whoever said no. But guess, listen to what the now, God just put this in the Bible last week because this verse wasn't there before. Are you ready? Okay, you know I mean, knows He does that, right? Uh, uh, Listen to the disciples' reaction. This is what the disciples say. The disciples said to him, "If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry." Did you catch that? Now, now that's not going to shock some of us that won't shock. But I'll tell you why that's so shocking. This is in a culture where marriage was the high thing. Marriage is what you did. You're raised for marriage. It's all about a marriage culture. And they're going, oh, my goodness, if that's true, we probably shouldn't get married. Why? Because it doesn't change our hearts. So why do we put that on our single people? Why do we make them feel like they're less, that they're missing something, or there is something not right in their lives? They're not fully reflecting the image of God. There's something that they need because they're not married. Jesus goes on, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given Notice he doesn't disagree with them. He actually agrees with them. He says, yeah, you're right. You're getting this. For there are eunuchs who have been so for birth. There, there are people who were born who can't get married. They physically can't do it. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. There are people who have been forced into singleness for one reason or another. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. He's saying there are some people who have decided, I'm just going to live for God. And Jesus is saying, that is an amazing thing. Do what God has put in your heart. And don't others try to tell them they're doing something wrong or different because of that. Is singleness too hard? The disciples thought marriage was too hard. (laughs) Why should we get married? Jesus says, it's not the best path for everyone. Our culture says abstinence is too hard. It's not human. What was Jesus' response to that? Well, he became fully human. He willingly became a male, a sexual human being. I'm telling you, he had as much testosterone as any other man anywhere. He had as much sex drive as anybody else. Yet he lived an abstinent life. He never had sex. He never married. He never even had a romantic relationship. What did he do? He exemplified the perfect human life. He exemplified the most complete, fully human life ever. I'm going to tell you, being single was not incidental to his life. It was purposeful. Look, marriage is a wonderful part of the plan of God. We've talked about that. But today, I'm not majoring on that because I'm majoring on something we don't major on. We are called, first and foremost, to be like Jesus. And Look, here, here, it, it shows us that none of these things, marriage, romantic fulfillment, sexual experience, is intrinsic to being a human being. The moment we say otherwise, the moment we claim a life of celibacy to be dehumanizing, we are implying that Jesus himself is only subhuman. We have an opportunity to be sold out fully, completely, to have the opportunity of a single focus on a relationship with the creator of the universe. And we somehow call that less. So myth number one, singleness is too hard. It's not too hard. It's a blessing. It's a gift. Which takes us into, well, that was myth number three, sorry. Takes us into truth number three. Singleness is a gift. And we look at three things briefly here. Singleness is a gift Its purpose is a gift the purpose of a gift is to build up others and god gives us grace for what he gives us so Paul said this paul says that both marriage and singleness are gifts and this is how he writes it This is in first corinthians chapter 7 verse 7 and he's talking to uh, he's talking about both You have to know the whole context, but i'm only going to read the one verse He's talking about marriage and singleness and he was single and he says this I wish That all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God. One of one kind, one of another. He's saying some are single, some are married. Each one of us has a gift. We need to look at what God has given us. And how do we know God has given us? What are you right now? Period it's no more complicated than that. What are you right now? That's the gift God has given you It doesn't mean it's permanent It means it's what he's given you and unless you see your life as a gift from God. You're not seeing God in your life We always want the grass is always greener the grass is There are people who are single who want to be married promise you single people. There are married people who wish they were single What is your gift, where are you? That's your gift. And if you saw it as a gift, embraced it as a gift, you could experience Jesus. Why is singleness a gift? Okay, this is verse 28 of that same chapter. We're going to spend a little bit of time in 1 Corinthians 7. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. You ever noticed in our culture, marriage is always happily ever after? You know, every movie that starts when they end up married is happily ever after. Anybody anybody not notice that? It's like every Disney movie when I was a kid, right? When couples come to me for premarital counseling, this is what I tell them. I'm not interested in the day of your wedding. I'm interested in the day after. Why? Because I know you're going to have worldly troubles, and I want to get you ready for that. That's what we spend our time on. This is a quote from the book. This one just hit me. I know couples for whom married life turned out drastic, drastic dramatically different from how they expected. One lady with, long-term incapacit- with a long-term incapacitated husband said to me one day, this isn't what I signed up for. Actually, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I know another couple in which her husband has a condition that has dramatically weakened his arms. He's unable to button his own shirt, let alone lift his own children. A far cry from how he imagined being a husband. I know of a Christian who married someone who wasn't, and though she thought it wouldn't matter, it's turned out to matter profoundly. I know another case in which a woman married someone who presented himself as a strong Christian, but he has shown himself to be far from it. So what does Paul say? I want you to be free from anxieties. Verse 32. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. Listen, this doesn't mean that, you know, single people don't have worldly troubles. We all have, I mean, you know, you know man is born from troubles as short as sparks fly upward. Okay? There's troubles in the world. It's what we live in. But we look at the other side, the grass is greener, and we think that's going to be great. And we don't realize what Paul's trying to say here is you have an opportunity right where you are. What is that? But a married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Listen, when I was, I call my son, I I have two adult children. Both are unmarried. Both are single. And I called my son in Ethiopia, told him I was going to be talking about this. He specifically told me, I want you to say this to everyone. I want you to tell them, I am free to serve God however he leads me. I don't have to think about another person. He just got back. I mean, he's in Ethiopia. He has to travel between two cities on a regular basis there. He just had to fly over to Israel to renew his visa. He is free to go about everything God's calling him about. Because he's not entangled. Look, does that make it better? Well, in some senses, yes. It's just a different gift, and it's not a lesser gift. Beckett Cook was a man that lived 20-some 20, 20 years as an adult in the, in the entertainment industry, in the um, fashion industry, as a same-sex attracted man, had all kinds of relationships and everything, came to Jesus, realized that that he that it was a sin, and he fully embraced Jesus, and and started to walk with him. And people have asked him, well, you know, since you've been a believer so long, don't you don't you miss having those relationships? Don't you miss having uh, the the intimacy, the physical intimacy? So he says, how can I miss that when I have a relationship with the Creator of the universe? I have a relationship with the Creator of the universe, like we said before. The grass always looks greener. Both sides have their ups and downs. But singleness has something unique about it that is an opportunity to serve God. Singleness is not just about what we're spared, but but what we're given. For the single person, there's greater freedom. We're able to give ourselves in a way that married people can't. So, the biblical gift... Um, The purpose why what is the purpose of a gift and I think this is really important to grasp Um The reason why we think of gifts when we think of gifts like I give you something We think that gift is for us to enjoy God's given us this gift for enjoyment That's not the biblical concept of a gift The biblical concept of a gift is so that you have something to give to others That's the biblical concept of gift. The fact of the matter is apart from him. We have nothing How many know that? Apart from him, we have nothing. But the creator of the universe gives us gifts so that we have something to give one another. Marriage is one of those gifts. What is, what's happening in marriage? You are giving your life to your spouse. You were there to lay down your life to your spouse. You were there to yield yourself to your spouse and their interests. You are a gift to the other person. That's why marriage is a gift. The Spirit Himself is a gift to us, right? There's multiple gifts in the Spirit that are given. Why? To each is given the manifestation for the common good, for the sake of the body. Ministry is a gift. It tells us ministry is a gift. But that isn't for the individual. That's for the body. This is in... um, uh, uh, Romans. So, so we, though we are many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, use them. Ephesians. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The purpose of your gift is not for you; it's for you to minister to others. In 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 culture singleness is what singleness is about selfishness I'm single so that I can live how I want and not be encumbered by anyone else in the Bible All of our lives are about sacrifice One way or the other. How do we lay our lives down for one another? So singleness like marriage is a good thing It needs to be received appropriately held in biblical perspective as does marriage when we honor it as god intends us to it's a good gift, then we won't presume it needs some spiritual superpower to make it bearable. And that's what I'm going to finish with. God gives us grace. Now, anybody, uh, suppose I don't want the gift God's given me. Has anybody ever gotten a gift that they didn't want? Look, Take a look at this picture here. <laughs> you <Y'all> t- <laughs> that guy's grandmother gave him that. Here you go. How would you like to drink your coffee? out of? Now, some of us here go, I want one of those. (laughs) Ever gotten a gift you really don't want? You know, the sweater where one arm is longer than the other and doesn't match anything in your closet? Let me ask you something. Would it ever be right for a married person to say, I'm married, but I clearly don't have the gift of marriage. Therefore, I need to leave my family. that ever be right i mean just hearing it makes us cringe in fact just hearing it many of us have experienced it we've been there we know what that's like we know how much pain and hurt that is god gave you this gift for the sake of others marriage isn't easy singleness is not easy what happens is this god gives us the grace to meet us right where we are gives us the grace to meet us right where we are. I'm going to close with this quote. I'm grateful to my friend Kathy Keller for reminding me that God doesn't give us hypothetical grace, but only actual grace. The grace of God isn't hypothetical. It's actual. The point is that when we imagine all those worst-case scenarios, we are imagining them without factoring in the presence and grace of God that would be there if they actually happened. Anybody ever play scenarios over and over in their head? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? What am I going to do? I hope you all heard my wife laughing. That's never happened in our house. God doesn't give you grace for all the what ifs He gives you grace for what the What is? Kathy wrote in an email once, God doesn't play that game. He doesn't inject hypothetical grace into your hypothetical nightmare situation so that you would know know what it would actually feel like if you ever did end up in that situation. He only gives grace for our actual situation. Replaying these scenarios over and over in our mind is therefore not helpful at all, and it actually factors out what God would be doing if it ever were to happen. We play it over and over again. We're actually factoring God out of it. What we're imagining is life in a situation without God's presence. That's what we're imagining. Better to find something else to fill our minds. And here's how C.S. Lewis put it. Remember, one is given the strength to bear what happens, not the 101 different things that might happen. So I'll leave with the scripture. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. The issue is not whether this path or that path is better. The issue is God and whether I will plunge myself into plunge myself into him, trusting him every day. So myth number one, singleness is too hard. No, it's not too hard. Truth, no, or actually myth number three. Truth number three, it's a gift. It's a gift God has given you, not simply just to bless you, but to bless those around you. Would that we let those who are single in our lives know this. Would that we embrace that. Because it affects every single one of us one way or another. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. Father, we open up your word together. May, again, we not be the same after we've looked at your word than we were beforehand. May it change us. May it touch us. May it transform us. Father, we pray for those who are single among us. That they would know that they are not less, that they are all that you have created them, be full imagers of you. Father, we pray for those in our lives whom we love who are going through these things. Father, I pray right now, if we have put any subtle pressure upon someone, that we would repent of that. We would trust you in your goodness. Father, that we may be fully the body of Christ you've called us to be. That we might have life to offer to those Who need it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: I know that
1: you are always up to something good. I know that you are.
0: Marvin.